1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Why they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting or the hair or wearing of gold or putting on apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, a what? Great price. In this passage, there are several things that God sees in a woman to be most valuable. And what God values in a person is contrary to what the world values in a person. When the human eye judges something to be of a great value, it is completely different than what the heavenly eye judges to be of a great worth. And so I'd like to give you a few examples uh, of what I mean by that in way of introduction. First of all, the flesh judges by the physical appearance only. The physical, I say only is only because, you know, there are times that we may judge outwardly and it is a reflection of what's going on in the heart. But the human eye sometimes is judges by the physical outward appearance only. Our tendency is to focus more on the outward appearance. And so this is why Peter is admonishing ladies to focus more on the inward than the outward. Uh, he says in verse 3, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning. So Paul also gives a similar exhortation to Timothy regarding this. We'll look at that later on if we have time. Now when Samuel chose another king other than King Saul, and Samuel looked at Eliab, he said, this is it, this is the one. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God said to him that man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. And there's a truth to that. And so we need to be very careful that we don't judge on the outward only. Okay. Second of all, the flesh judges on the outward practice of a person only. So it, again, it's important that we have outward practices. Amen. Uh, even a child is known by his doings. But not only does this reflect a person's attitude. Okay, there are many other things. So the outward practice is not the only way we can judge a person. All right. Uh, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Why unto you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you're like whited sepulchres, which do appear beautiful outwardly, but within are full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so ye outwardly appear righteous on the man, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. And so that's a heavy hitting, isn't it? So the Pharisees wanted to look the part outwardly, but they weren't, not, they weren't the part. So we want to make sure we wear the part. We're not just looking the part, but inside is the real deal. Amen? And so these people wanted to save face. They put on a show in a parade, and Jesus knew the heart of man and why they were doing what they were doing. Number three, the flesh judges by a place in which a person, person is from. When Jesus started his public ministry and his disciples were called, they went to... Uh, Nathaniel, Philip went to find Nathaniel, and he said, We found the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel said, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He says, Come and have a look. And so they were judging Christ because of where he was from. And in, in our, our Arabic culture, it's similar. When a boy meets a girl, the father would perhaps say, Where's he from? What village is he from? And he's judged by the reputation of that village. Isn't that right? And uh, oh my, if you're in a bad you know, you come from a very shocking 
place in, and so we know perhaps even in some places here, if you, you don't want to be brought up in King's Cross, because if you come from there, then you have a bad reputation. Where were you brought up? King's Cross. Oh my. But let me just say this to you. Anyone that is blood bought by the blood of the lamb has a working miracle take place in his heart is the greatest, uh, you know, uh, disposition anyone can have no matter where you're from. And if anything came out of Nazareth that was good, it was Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so, but thank God, you know, if my, if my daughter, uh, if some man comes to me one day and he wants to marry my daughter, I don't care where he's from and I don't care what he does for an occupation. He could be a garbage collector. Does he fear God? Does he love God? That's why I care about Because if he fears God and loves God, guess what? He's going to love my daughter. And so we ought not to judge people by the place where uh, they're from, but also the position that they may hold. This is another, uh, you know, false... Uh, Perception, Mark 6 verse 3, is not this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary? Yeah. What's the problem? Oh, we thought he might be a son of a prophet or something like that. Well, he is the son of God. <laughs> Only if you'd look into the scriptures and notice. But you know, people just look at the earthly position of a person and they want to judge you by that. And so uh, they found it difficult to accept him. The Bible says they were offended in him. Because he came from a carpenter. By, by the way, what's wrong with carpentry? Anything wrong with that? I think one of the wonderful <laughs> trades, amen? Number five, the flesh judges by the possessions a person may have. Now, our society and culture uh, respects those that are wealthy. They are. And they do. They respect those that are wealthy, they have a name, and they've made their million. The elite of society uh, in the eyes of the culture are those that have made the, the million. It's not, God doesn't look at it that way. There's, by the way, there's nothing wrong with having money. Just a side note. But people would judge you by perhaps if you're poor or rich. And this is why James says in James chapter 2, don't show partiality. Respect all men, both rich and poor. Amen. First Timothy uh, Paul warns Timothy of people that would say that gain is godliness. There are people out there that say, hey, the more money you have, the more godlier you are. And Paul warns Timothy in a nutshell and says, it's rubbish. These people are perverse, disputing men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth. Supposing gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And don't we see that take place today? The prosperity gospel, gospel preached through and through, through and through, that God wants your best life now. The more uh, healthy and wealthy you are, the more godly you, you are. Well, then Paul had a problem. <laughs> uh, then Job had a problem. Oh, let me just say this. Humanly speaking, Jesus had a problem. He left his glory, he, le he left the throne to come down here on earth. And be born in an animal's house. He was poor that you and I through him may be made rich. He made himself of no reputation. Took upon him a form of a servant. And so we see that through his poverty you and I may be made rich. Now to respect and honor a person above the rest because of their bank account is an abomination in the sight of God. Uh, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hold to one and love the other, or he will... Dis he will uh, 
sorry, either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And now the reaction to this by the Pharisees to Christ, and the Pharisees also who were covetous, heard all these things, and they deride him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You cannot serve two masters. Because they were covetous, uh, Jesus said what he said, and uh, it bothered them, and they looked down and scoffed at him. And Jesus said, God knows your heart. What you value in the eyes of men is highly is an abomination in the eyes of God. So then, what is esteemed in the eyes of God? What is a great price? What is valuable? So let's look at it tonight. Peter makes it clear that God is looking for the inward beauty of a woman. Inward beauty. <clears throat> and how's this inward beauty look like? I want to give you several things tonight. I'd like to Focus on verse 1 first. Have a look. Verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. First of all, a submissive spirit. God values a submissive spirit. Amen? This is what it says here. A woman ought to be submissive because it's, it's God's divine order. God put it into place. This is how God wanted it. The Bible clearly teaches over and over again in the scriptures that the man is the head of the wife. And that's not popular today, is it? To be in subjection means to place under rank. God has ordained different levels of authority and God has given the husband over, uh, over the wife to be her authority. It's God's order. And to, and, and, and to place oneself under is to be submissive. And so... This is what we clearly see. And there's a struggle here. And by the way, ladies, there is a clear struggle. There's a temptation to resist your husband's instruction or leadership. It's, the temptation is not sinful. It's when you yield to that temptation. It's when you just buck against God's order. When you buck against his leadership and his uh, simply uh, instruction. John Phillips said, this is a very popular doctrine these days. Sorry, he says, this is not a very popular doctrine these days. When women are assuming an ever more prominent and aggressive role in society. Who's the vice president in the United States now? Who's the prime minister of New Zealand? Who's our premier of New South Wales? Well, is this God's order? Did God put women to rule and lead and make decisions? No. And Isaiah chapter 3 says it's a curse. When that takes place, it's a curse. It's not a blessing that your woman shall rule over you. And so here is a direct attack on God's order. And ladies, let me just say this to you. When you submit to God's order, it's a great price in his eyes because this is his order. This is the way he's established things to be done. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. Turn there quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. If we see the instruction in the epistles for women to submit to their husbands time and time again, it's a good indication that they struggle with it. They did struggle with it back then. And Paul reminds them to come under. Come under rank. Submit yourselves. It's God's order. 
And uh, First Timothy, likewise, Paul uh, gives instruction to Timothy to help uh, this take place within the churches, plural, and even our church today, not only the churches back then, but our churches today. What's the difference? They say that this passage only alludes to those people that were rebellious uh, in that period. What's the difference? <laughs> if, they were, if they were rebellious in that period, and if they were rebellious today, don't you think the instruction suits both times? Absolutely. So he says in verse 9, In like manner also the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, shamefacedness, this is to be bashful, to be shy, not to be lofty, uh, uh, sobriety, uh, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Look at verse 10. But which becometh woman professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all, there's that word again, subjection. But a soften not a woman to teach nor serp authority uh, over the man, but to be in silence. So he actually says not only to be in subjection uh, and, and follow the man or the husband, but even don't go to the uh, next level to even serve authority or over a man or teach a man. Why? Look at verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. This is God's order. It's based on God's order, God's rank. And verse 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman be deceived was in transgression. So it was Eve that was deceived, vulnerable, taken, uh, the weaker vessel, we could say. And so God, by the way, when Eve sinned, there was two main things that had taken place, or you can call them consequences if you like, uh, that would take place in, in, in the life of a woman, period, because Eve is the mother of all creation. And so he points us all the way back to the beginning, looking at this consequence, saying that, number one, she's going to suffer uh, birth pains. She's going to be in great sorrow. And number two, her desire will be for her husband and that he would rule over her. There were two things. And so has that changed? Have we progressed? Have we uh, evolved to a point where we don't want, no longer want God's order? Well, society might be, but it's not progressing. It's actually diminishing. We see our society in a mess because they're trying to change God's order. Amen? That's why our society is in a mess. That's why you see things take place is because they're always trying to change God's order. The family unit and even now the church. Anything that God has put in place or ordained, they're trying to overturn and flip. And some of the men are giving heed to it. They don't care if the women are in rank or above them. Why? Because they're just as wicked as hell trying to go against God's order. This is an attack on God. And we see it taking place today very clearly. But when you come under and you submit yourself to God, and as a result, submitting to your husband, God looks at that and says, that's a great price. That's at value. Because you're honoring God's rank, order, command, and instruction. Ephesians 5.22, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as unto the Lord. This is the Lord's command. This is the, what the Lord uh, simply put in place. Now, let me give you two things that we've got to remember about submission. Number one, submission to your husband must be in the fear of God. So in other words, if your husband tells you to do something that's contrary to the word of God, you submit to the higher authority, which is God. Number two, submission doesn't mean that the wife is inferior to the husband. 
This is not about who's better than the other. This is about, again, God's order, God's role for a woman. A woman is not lesser of a person because God's given her a role to submit to a husband. As a matter of fact, Peter says in verse 7, and he makes it very clear that the husband and wife are heirs together of the grace of God. They were made by God and in the image of God. And so Galatians 3.28 says, Neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond or free, neither male or female, for, for ye are all one in Christ. And so the wife has her role within God's order. Her function does not devalue her as a woman. We are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, Paul says, But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of, the woman is, uh, uh, the head of a woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Is Christ devalued? Because of the order or the role that he plays within the Godhead? No. And so when you look at this, it's just the function that God has given to a woman and it doesn't make her a lesser of a person. As a matter of fact, the responsibility of a man ought to love his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. What a wonderful uh, instruction that God has given to a man in order to uphold his wife in love. And so we'll look at that in another time. This is a great price in the sight of God. What is? When a woman submits to a husband. But this kind of woman that submits to a husband would also be a soul conscious woman. Have a look at verse 1. Likewise, go back to 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. Look at verse 1. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husband... That if any obey not the word, in other words, if your husband is not being obedient to the word of God, they also may, without the word, what will happen? Be won by the conversation of their wives. So this, I believe, could the principle or the application can be to an, uh, an unsaved husband or even a carnal husband that is perhaps backsliding. Her disposition, her character, her submissive spirit is, you know, the very thing that's going to speak volumes to her husband. And she's aware of this, and she'll be aware of this, and she'll be soul conscious about this. Uh, she's not interested about competing with her husband. She's interested in winning her husband, reaching her husband. And so this is what a godly woman is all about. It's not about uh, her rights, it's about just reaching her husband. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. She, she doesn't care about having a competitive spirit and, 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 and this tug of war that takes place. She, she's not interested in that. She's interested in winning her husband. So a godly woman is not concerned with her rights as much as she's concerned in reaching her husband. She wants to win him. She wants, and she does that by being submissive to him. By the way, this is a great evangelistic tool. You know, I, I, I think this is the great way which a woman can actually preach and teach her husband. And, and, and let me just say, if you have unsaved husbands here, uh, you can be a witness to him, but don't preach at him and don't be forceful because that... You may say, oh, but I want to win him, I love him, I want him to see him come to... Well, the greatest way that you can win him is by your testimony. Yes. 
you have a testimony, you want to testify about what God has done in your life and indirectly witness to him, that's fine. But your submission and your spirit toward him will win him. Now, and this is what basically a man of God once said, the loving, gracious submission of a Christian woman to her unsaved husband is the strongest evangelistic tool she has. Her testimony, her obedience to a loving and devoted wife to her husband will impact him. Can you imagine if a, a, a Christian woman that knows the Lord, that doesn't have, a, doesn't have a husband that loves the Lord, goes home and, and uh, she's boisterous and loud and unsubmissive? What do you think and he would say about the church that she's going to? Is that what they're teaching you over there? Is that what you're learning? To be defiant? But can you imagine she goes home and she knows her place and she understands her place and she takes care of her husband? And well, How do you... Man, he's just going to say, what's, what's going on with my wife? There's a change that's taken place. And we're going to see that in a moment. It's a sanctified spirit that takes place in verse 2. While they behold your chaste and conversation coupled with fear. What's this chaste conversation? Or this uh, holy woman that is separate from the world. Because you know the women of the world, they're defiant, they're boisterous, they're loud. They want their way. But a holy woman of God submits and comes under the authority of her husband. And if you don't do that, then you're giving an occasion for the word of God to be blasphemed. And this is why Titus, well, Paul says to Titus, let the older woman teach the younger woman to love their husbands and obey them. So the word of God is not blasphemed. Your life speaks, your sanctified life, your chaste conversation. You know, it says here, while they behold. That means your husband is watching. And by the way, not only your husband, but your kids are watching. They're watching how you treat your husband. And you want to be a good testimony to them. Especially to those little girls that are watching. Because you don't want them, you know, people do what people see. Habits are caught more than taught at times. And so can you imagine you're the, one of the greatest teachers in the home? And they see your life and they see that spirit, that sanctified spirit, that chaste uh, lifestyle. Well, that's clean and pure and holy. And by the way, let me just say this. Sarah was an example of a woman that obeyed her husband and Peter used this. Have a look at verse 6. Look at verse 6. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham... Call him him what? Lowercase l. Lord. What does that show? Respect. Honor. Reverence. Uh, whose daughters are ye as long as you do well and, not, uh, and are not afraid with any amazement. Call him him Lord. Vermin McGee said Sarah was such a beautiful woman that several kings wanted her as wife and Abraham had a great problem in that connection. But she called him Lord. She looked up to Abraham. It was a wonderful, uh, it was wonderful uh, when a woman, he says, it's wonderful when a woman can look up to a husband. She looks up to him. And to look up to him is to submit to him. And a wife that gives, submits to him, listen, gives honor to her husband. She called him Lord. There was a reverence there. Not Lord as a divine God, but Lord as respect and honor. And he uses here, uh, Sarah to do it. Look at Proverbs. You don't have to turn there. I'll just 
basically quote it to you. Proverbs 12 verse 4. A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. A virtuous woman is a crown. What does that mean? A virtuous woman, this woman that's chaste in her conversation, this woman that's holy is a crown to a husband. Honor. Wow. But opposite is true. But she that maketh ashamed is as rottenness in his bones. Oh, man. The opposite is true. You can either honor your husband or you can dishonor your husband. And, and you know what? God looks down at that and says, oh, that's not valuable. But if you honor him and you're his crown by the virtuous life that you live in the submission that you betray to him, God will look at that and say, that's valuable. That's a great price. Holy women are submissive to their husband. Look at verse 5. For after this same manner, in the old time, the holy woman also who trusted in God, look at this, adorned themselves with what? With apparel? No. With what? Being in subjection unto their own husband. Look at their adornment. Look at their clothing. Their submission to their husband. These are the holy women of God that God is pointing us to. These are the ones that are chaste in their conversation. These are the ones that are holy and virtuous. And God says, that's valuable. She's not only sanctified, but she also has a spiritual uh, attitude, this mindset about her. Look at verse 3. Whose adorning let it not be of an outward adorning, of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold, or of putting on apparel. What's he saying here? A godly woman understands that she needs to focus more, focus more on the inward beauty. Uh, Peter's not condemning all outward adornment. He's, you know, Peter is not encouraging, you know, not to wear any clothes. <laughs> he's, he's actually trying to help the woman make a shift. Focus more on the inner beauty, the spiritual attitude of a, of a woman than the physical appearance of a woman. Naturally, a woman is beautiful. And so she looks in the mirror and she tries to make herself more beautiful. And wears this and puts this and tries to... And, and I guess to an extent there's nothing wrong with that only when you're obsessed with it and when your spiritual life is lacking. It's lacking. In other words, there's no wisdom. There's no spiritual growth. The Bible says in Proverbs 11 verse 22, As a jewel of gold in a swine snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. So picture this, you have a beautiful woman that has no wisdom or virtue. How does that look like? Well, the Bible says it looks like this. That's how it looks like. You have this beautiful jewel in the nose of a pig. That's how it looks like. Does it look... I mean, would you... Would you think that any jeweler would present you a ring in a pig's nose? <laughs> he puts it on a beautiful background, doesn't he? Yeah. Well, this is how the Bible portrays a woman that is absolutely beautiful, but yet has no wisdom. She focuses more on the outward than she does in the inward beauty. It's, listen, let's not go on the extreme. It's all right to look presentable. 
but don't be obsessed. A spiritual minded woman spends more time looking in the mirror of God's word than looking in the mirror. Amen. A, a woman's godliness, by the way, listen very carefully, makes her stunning. It makes her even just, she's beautiful, but just, wow. <laughs> Absolutely. Just more stunning. Isn't that a blessing? And by the way, a woman ought to be careful with how she dresses. Don't dress pro provocative. The Proverb 7 woman was a woman that dressed like a harlot. And the reason why she was dressed like a harlot was so she can seduce the simple foolish one. Dress in a way that is modest and brings glory to God. Like what William MacDonald said, If we make Christ the Lord of our wardrobe, all is well. Amen? And I guess... You can say, does this glorify God? Uh, does this bring attention to me? Or does this bring attention to God? And if you struggle, ladies, ask your husband. Not your carnal husband. Ask your spiritual husband. Okay, if you're going to just ask, if your husband's unsaved or is carnal, just be careful, don't go there. Maybe ask a spiritual, uh, you know, woman that will help you, that she's not carnal and understand. So what do you think? What do you think? Seriously. Uh, it, 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 I tell you, I mean, it, 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 you say, oh man, and, you know, now you're just stepping on our toes and you're getting into our business. No. Over here is very clear, isn't it? Dress modestly. Modest apparel. Look, look beautiful, no problem. But don't look seductive. And we had a, a proverb that we heard in school. They used to say, I'm going to dress to kill. <laughs> and you just did that, didn't you? You dressed to kill, lowering people and just trapping them. And by the way, you don't want to do that. Even if you're not interested, you don't want to build your self-esteem that way. A godly spiritual woman is secure in God. Her security is in God. Number five, last, she has a sweet spirit. Uh, this is, I guess this is a big one. Because verse 4, this is, our, this is where we get it. And this is, it speaks volumes of what a kind of attitude God wants in a godly woman. Verse 4, But let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not, look at this, corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, look at this, a what? A great price. So it's not only being submissive, but listen, it's being submissive with a sweet spirit. Because you can be submissive, and you can tell if you're submissive in a very proud, arrogant way, or just a sweet way. Uh, we notice. Men notice it. And so it's not just about being submissive, it's being submissive with this kind of attitude, this kind of characteristic. To be meek is to be humble, not proud. And by the way, you've heard it before, meekness is not weakness, it's a strength. She doesn't fight to get her way. She doesn't manipulate in any way. She's not sad and puts on a, a face that's manipulative because she, things didn't go her way. 
She's submissive and it's sweet. She's meek, she comes under. And by the way, at times your husbands will make a bad decision. That's not the time to say, I told you so. That's the time to encourage him and say, don't worry, sweetheart, let's pray about it and put it before the Lord. When he's down, he needs encouragement. Listen, you're a helpmate. And you ought to help and encourage your husband. I like what Warren Weasby said. Glamour is something a person can put on and off. But true beauty is always present. Glamour is corruptible. It decays and fades. True beauty from the heart grows more wonderful as the year passes. A Christian woman who cultivates beauty of the inner person will not have to depend on cheap externals. Amen. And then second of all, it's to be quiet, to be at peace, to be gentle. She's not loud or stubborn. She's not boisterous, not in your face. Why? Because she knows her place. She's quiet, not only meek, but quiet, gentle, uh, calm temper, contented of mind, free from passion, pride, and envy. She has a sweet attitude to help her husband and not hurt her husband. You've been called a helpmate, not a hurtmate. And your attitude can hurt your husband. Your attitude that is in his face, loud, stubborn, the Proverb 31 woman says this, the Proverb 31, 11, the heart of her husband, look at this, doth safely trust in her so that she have no need of spoil. And he have no need of spoil. She will do him, look at good and not evil, how often? All the days of his life. What a challenge. All the days of his life. There's a big difference, by the way, between the Proverb 31 woman and the Proverb 21 woman. The Proverb 21 woman is, well, it says this, it is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. Picture that for a moment. What do you mean it's better to dwell? It's better to dwell in the corner of a roof or of a housetop where it's perhaps at night dark you don't, you're not even on the couch. It's, it's better uh, to be isolated in the corner where it's dark, perhaps cold, nothing to eat, cobwebs. I'm just giving you a picture. I don't know if it's picture it, but it's better to dwell in a corner of a roof. It's almost just living there than to be in the wide house with a nitpicking, brawling woman that's not calm and quiet. Just always complaining. Nothing's ever good enough. No matter how much you do, no matter how much you love, no matter how, it's just never good enough. Just always nitpicking, always complaining. Proverb 31, woman has a sweet spirit. And this is where you need to be aiming for. Do women struggle in this area? Yes. But uh, do you want to be perfected? Or do you want to remain stubborn, carnal? Uh, again, the temptation is real, isn't it? But don't yield to the temptation. And if you do, confess it. Say, Lord, forgive me. Go to your husband, ask for his forgiveness. Uh, there's no condemnation here, ladies. This is just an example that we see that's a great value in God's eyes. And this is your motivation. Your motivation is to please God and say, God, I want... 
I want to have this spirit. I want to please you in all things. And notice uh, 1 Peter 3, 4 in closing. We're almost done. Notice this. He, he says, But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not, what's that word? Corruptible. So in other words, it's not going to fade or decay. Uh, you know, the outward's going to fade and decay. It's, it's got, hey, it's got an expiry date. That no matter how old you are, the inward beauty will never be corrupted because it's a God working in your heart. That's what God sees valuable. The inward beauty. Inward beauty never decays, but the outward does. A sweet godly woman endures forever. She doesn't live a wasted life, a, wife, a life that is corruptible, consumed with the things of this life. She doesn't care about designer things. She cares about good things. You know, she wants to make sure that her house is in order. She takes care of things. She wants to make sure she's a good steward, like the Proverb 31. Woman, that's no problem, but she's not vain. She's not vain. There's one thing I didn't want to marry. And I looked in the wife and I didn't want to marry someone that was vain. Someone that was consumed with different things. And so when I was courting, I'd ask questions like, uh, you know, if God called me to Africa, would it bother you? Uh, if we didn't get a white picket fence, does it trouble you? If we lived in a tent, is that okay? First conversation I had with my wife. I tried to scare her away. And then she said, oh, we lived in a tent at one time. I thought, oh. They were missionaries and they'd go from place to place and they'd live in a tent and they'll, leave, and, and they'll drink, you know, skim milk. <laughs> she told me all this. I thought, okay. And then when we got married, and this is our, our newly, you know, first year, she said, I'm going shopping. I thought, okay, no problem. Just grab what you need to get and come home. Don't just look around for nothing. And... Um, I don't believe in just looking around if you're not going to buy something, amen? Just get, especially today, Westfield shopping, get what you want to get and get out. <laughs> Man, it's just noise and loud and just... Anyway, she came back and she goes, look, I got this for, I can't remember at the time, but it was like something like close to five bucks. I said, where'd you get that for five bucks? She goes, from the op shop. I said, op what? <laughs> I said, go put it in bleach, quick. <laughs> so if anyone was vain, it was me. <laughs> Op shop, man. I, I walk in the op shop just to get King James Bibles, you know, to see if they. I still look left and right to see if anybody's looking at me. <laughs> oh, I'm being honest with you. If anyone was vain, it was me. There's nothing wrong with buying clothes, but you know what I'm talking about. When your heart is set on things, you know, some ladies would go and buy clothes to make themselves feel good. And, and, and they don't even wear it. It's in the wardrobe with the tag still on it. They just, it's their, you know, it, it, it kind of helps them. They're down and they buy stuff. It's corruptible stuff. Moth-eating stuff. Rusted stuff. Thieves can come in. 
Store up treasures in heaven. What's the treasure? Make, quiet, submissive, sweet spirit in the sight of God. It's a great price. All these other stuff, no problem. Just don't focus on them too much. They have their place. But it not to be the highlight of your life. How's this possible? How's this, you know, woman, Proverb 31 woman possible? How's it happen? This godly woman, has it happened overnight? No. She's made. The Bible says here that she has this conversation, this chase conversation, coupled with fear. So she respects her husband, but I also believe she honors and respects and fears God. And to do that, look at verse 5. For after this woman in the old time, the holy woman also who what? Trusted in God. They believed God. They honored his word. And they submitted, listen, to God. God was supreme. And in doing so, to, 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 to believe God, to obey God, listen, is to fear God. Have a look at Proverbs 31 and we're done. Proverbs 31. Look at this, verse 30. Favor is what? Deceitful. Beauty is what? But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Look at verse 10. A virtuous woman who can find. Her, prize, her price is above what? rubies in other words she can't be bought she's made by God and she's made by God because she fears God she's not vain she's virtuous she, she doesn't care about the favor of men but rather the Father which is in heaven. She cares about Him. She fears Him. She loves Him. She submits to her husband as unto Him. Her eyes are upward. She trusts Him. God's not going to let her down. If you don't have a walk with God and you don't submit to God, you're going to have trouble submitting to your husband. I guarantee you. And listen, if you try, it will be short-lived. She's made. God makes her, molds her. She grows into this great price, which is not corruptible. Amen? Amen? This is what God values. And it's a sweet, by the way, it's sweet. Her kids, her husband, praise her. Let another man praise thee, not their own. They, wow! What, ladies, let me just say this. Wouldn't you like your daughter, if, if God gives you a daughter, to grow up and say, I just want to be like mum. 
Wow. She loves the Lord. Listen, and she loves my dad. What a testimony. Let's pray.